Thanks. Happy Easter, everybody. Great to be here with you this morning. Missed you all last week. We were up in Christchurch last weekend. I've, had, I've taken great pleasure in telling everybody that I, last weekend I married my sister, uh, which I did. I married my sister, and my wife was at the wedding, and she was fine with it. She was, she was invited, in fact. Uh, my children were, were um, flower girls, um, and they did all right, actually. It was, uh, it was touch and go there for a bit. Um, Oh, the practice did not go well, I tell you right now. They were screaming at each other. I was like, oh, gosh. Um, we had, there were um, 22, I think, Americans over. So my, my sister married an American chap. Uh, he's a lovely guy, good, good pick for her. Um, but there were a lot of Americans over. And uh, it, was, it was really cool, actually. Uh, a lot of them are Christians. I think probably all of them were. Uh, and um, had a great time, actually. But I missed you guys. So it's good to be back. And... Uh, Good to be here on Easter Sunday. Who went to the uh, Good Friday service? And uh, yeah, a few of you. It was great, wasn't it? So cool to see the church coming together uh, across our city. And and I talked to other pastors around the nation, and they they, they don't they don't have that kind of thing happen. It's kind of an anomaly. And I think it's uh, I think it's sad, but I think it's fantastic that Timaru uh, has that kind of collegiality and connection between the pastors and the churches, because we're all one kingdom, we're all one family, we're all. But it's the same Jesus. So much more that unites us than separates us as churches. So so cool to to be able to do that together with everyone. But here we are today, and it's Easter Sunday. It's the Resurrection Sunday, and uh, reflecting on this, I was I was just struck again by the sense of scandal that this story has. Because I don't know about you, but I know this about the world and kind of about me is that we love a scandal. The world, we live in a world, don't we, that loves a scandal. The modern media cycle is kind of driven by scandals. They just kind of lurch from one scandal to the next. And it's easy to blame the media, but actually the media just reflects the state of the human heart. And it actually goes deeper than just the media feeding us these scandals. Because you see, if we gave nothing to scandals, the media would stop giving us scandals, right? Right? But actually, we, we kind of we feed on it. And, uh, you know, we think, oh, it's just terrible, all this clickbait and all this stuff these days. But actually, it catches our attention and we do feed into it. The media have just become so very good at playing to that playing to that fallen side of our nature. Um, but it's always been there. Like I think thousands of years ago, you know, standing on a street corner, probably Jebediah and Hepzibah were gossiping about Jehoshaphat's wife and what she was doing down the road. You know, like that, that, it's been happening for thousands of years. Scandal has been around since the beginning. It's just that we've become used to feeding ourselves on it. And, and the thing that, that the world has kind of forgotten is that actually the Easter story is a scandalous story. It's an outrageous scandal of a, of a failed cover-up, uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a death that was completely unjust, and, and of a triumph of truth over the lies and today we're going to hone in on one segment of the Easter story. We're going to ask some questions about that. But I feel like we've got to set the scene first. 
So a lot of you will know this story, but let's, let's go back. A week earlier, uh, in the city of Jerusalem, it's kind of the center of trade and politics and religion in, in the Middle Eastern world at the time. And they're having this grand procession. A great man is being paraded and welcomed in to this holy city. If we pick it up in Matthew 21, verse 8, it says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered, because it was Jesus, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So this is just a week before, a week before he's crucified on a cross. A week before, people are pulling off their clothes and laying them down in front of a donkey. It would be like, and I didn't get this greeting as I drove into church this morning, but you're taking your coats off and laying them in front of my Peugeot and I'm driving over them as I enter church. That's not a hint. I don't need this kind of uh, welcome, but it's kind of like that. It's a, it's a crazy picture of respect because how many of you know your clothes aren't going to look very good once a What's donkeys trampled on them and possibly done other things on them on the way in, right? And they were saying things like Hosanna, which means save or save us now, O Lord. Save us, O Lord. So, so they weren't just welcoming a respected person. They were also expecting something from him. He was going to do something great in that city. He was going to rescue them because they were under Roman rule. They were an oppressed people. And so there was an expectation on this great Messiah, this Savior, and the whole, it said the whole city was stirred. The whole city was, it's kind of like a royal visit. Think royal visit, except they didn't know entirely who this king was because they were whispering about, like, who is he actually? Like, I think if we, some of you might not know, but if, you know, uh, the queen came, you'd probably know who she was. Uh, but they're, they're all whispering, you know, who is this guy? Have you heard about this Jesus? They reckon he's going to save us from the Romans. And then Jesus normally, when, when people start talking about him, he kind of shushes them up. He's like, no, no, don't go tell, you know, he heals someone. He says, don't tell everybody or you don't. Just go to the temple and then keep it to yourself. But, you know, just, just keep it on the download. But this time Jesus is in there. And he comes straight to the temple and he's turning over tables and he's ripping things apart. And he's saying, what are you doing in my temple? And he's stirring things up and he's healing people on the Sabbath. And he's, and he's just doing stuff, which is drawing attention to himself. It's like he's, he's been ministering for three years in, in kind of incognito, although there've been crowds, but now is his time. Now he knows it's time for you to know who I am. And he's making no... He's, he's not hiding at all. He's just out there in plain sight, stirring up the crowds, and, and expectation is building. People are like, what, what's going to happen? He's in the capital creating a ruckus. I love it. Provoking a response, which he gets. He gets a response. The religious leaders aren't happy. 
They're jealous of Jesus. They're jealous of the following, of the greeting. Why don't I get a, you know, coats laid down when I come into the temple? What's with this guy, Jesus? And so they try and undermine him. They, 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 well, actually, they don't. they've tried undermining him. They've tried challenging him. They've tried, you know, um, tricking him with their questions. But he's always too smart for them. It's almost like he's God or something. And uh, he, he always gets them. And so they're, they're getting more overt. And in Matthew 26, 3 and 4, it says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So they knew that people were with him. But they actually, this is a murder plot. This is a murder plot. This is a scandal. This is about as scandalous as it gets. They're plotting to kill the queen on a royal visit. This is what's happening. We kind of forget. We just kind of, oh, we know the story. But no, it's, it's a scandal right here. It's a murder plot. And they don't know, they don't know how to do it. They're at a bit of a loss. And then they're thrown a lifeline by one of Jesus' own. In Matthew 26, 14, we read, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is an intriguing scandal because not only is there a, an assassination plot, one, there's an inside man. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a double agent amongst Jesus' followers. Did you think of it like that? This is the CIA's got nothing on, on, on Jesus and his band of disciples. So we'll skip forward a little here because I know that you probably know the story. Um, and it's probably not a surprise to most of you that Jesus is betrayed by Judas. And that he is handed over to the religious authorities. So that it's, it's kind of like he's handed over to, to the pastors. And then the pastors hands him over to me. And I hand him over to Damon Odie, the mayor. <laughs> and then the mayor condemns him to death because the pastors are telling him to kill him. That's kind of how it plays out. I'm glad that, who's glad that our mayor doesn't wield that kind of power these days? I'm just, just, I mean, I like Damon, but I'm just glad he doesn't have that kind of power. Uh, so, or, or that I have that kind of power, that I can twist the, the mayor's arm to, to kill a man. And Jesus, this man they were heralding as a future savior of the nation, is dead. He's killed. Not, not humanely at all, but put on a, on a rack of torture and hung there to die. That is scandal enough, you would think. But wait, there's more. Because Jesus dies, he's taken down from the cross, placed in a tomb, and as may have read before, he disappears. That tomb is found empty. But I just want to focus in on a, on a passage just before then, in Matthew 27, verse 62. It says this, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate's as after Jesus' death. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. 
Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So there's been this assassination, and now there's a cover-up. This is, this is a big scandal, and I would suggest something that's still being covered up today. And from this, I want to I wanna ask you, I want us to ask ourselves three questions. Three questions that kind of want to shape your thinking, because I want to provoke some thought in you today. Is that okay, church? If we provoke something in you, because I know you know the story, but I, I know that there's so much more to it that we need to start to to be challenged about. So first question is, who do they say Jesus is? Who do they say that Jesus is? They here are the religious and political leaders. But in our world today, I would say they are are everyone who's not a believer in Christ. Everyone else in your world who does not yet believe in Jesus, who do they say Jesus is? I think it's an important question to ask because it informs how we interact with the world around us, right? How we approach our friends, our family, our workmates, our colleagues, our classmates, whoever they are, we need to think, who do they think Jesus is? Who do they say He is? And there's a telling sentence here in this passage from the religious leaders. They say this, while He was still alive, that deceiver said. That deceiver Said. See, their minds were made up. They thought Jesus was a deceiver. A lot of the world has actually made up their minds without actually experiencing God that Jesus is a deceiver. And what they've, what they've decided is, is just based on a lie. And that lie still stands today. The secular world kind of believed these two deceptions. Firstly, that that Jesus uh, that Jesus was just a guy that he's he's the same as you and I, and that he's a deceiver, that he's that he's deceived everyone. Actually, I would go so far as to say that they believe that all religions are the same. Not even that Jesus is the same as you and I, but actually all religions are the same, and that all relig- religions are a deception. They're all the same because I, 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 this is what the, the world thinks. I read an article just the other week by Sam Neill, who's a, uh, an actor. And because he's an actor, he somehow has a platform. Um, but anyway, he wrote an article, an opinion piece about what, what they should do with Christchurch Cathedral. And he was saying, you know, after the, 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 the shootings in the mosque, uh, that actually the, the, the cathedral should just be uh, a center for all religions. It should just be like a, a secular kind of gathering place, maybe a visitor's center. But, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not actually, you know, because that, that's his mindset, is that all religions are the same. They're essentially the same. And so therefore, it doesn't matter what you put in the center of Christ church. Uh, it doesn't have to be Christ church at all. It can be just kind of everybody's which is a nice sentiment because we love all people, but there is something different about our faith. And his name is Jesus. And he, he is completely different to everything else. So, so that's, that's kind of what the world thinks, that all religions are the same. 
And the second thing is that, well, all religions, actually, they can just do what they like on their side because they're all deceived. We're in the age of enlightenment. And, and you know, we know better. We know better than, than, than thousands of people for thousands of years. Uh, we know better because we have science. Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a physio. I've studied science. I'm not anti-science. But I do know that there is so much that we don't understand, that we don't know, that cannot be explained yet by science, and possibly never will be, because there is someone behind it all. There is a God who created us in His image. And of course, if you think that oh, all religions are the same and that they're all deceiving, then you, you probably think, oh, well, we don't need them. We don't know. We actually will just follow our secular humanism and we'll be fine, which is absolute rubbish because humankind, our natural tendency is towards what? It's towards ourself. It's towards following our own desires. And when everybody does that, it just becomes tit for tat. It just becomes the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, the gap gets wider, and everybody's just fighting for themselves. And actually, the fabric of society falls apart. And eventually, revolution happens because the poor get too poor and the rich get too rich, and, and, and it gets to a point. And then it gets revolutionized. That's basically, that. you look at history, that's what happens. And so we know that actually, that's a lot of what the world thinks. And that cover-up, that, that, that mindset started when, when these guys said, hey, you know, and it's interesting that they weren't even worried that Jesus would rise from the dead, because that's impossible. They were just worried that his disciples might come and steal his body away and make it look as if he was risen from the dead. So even there, they're basing it on a, on a deceptive mindset. But the truth that Jesus would actually, the tomb would be empty. He would be gone. He would be risen from the dead. That didn't even cross their minds. <laughs> they, were just, they just cared about the outward appearance, which, if we're honest, that's what most of the world cares about, and sometimes us as well. We're not so interested in the truth of who Jesus is, just, just about you know, how it appears. I find it fascinating that often, you know, I see news articles on staff for New Zealand Herald, and often they come out on a Sunday, and, and they're all about the bad things that are happening in the church. They're, they're not about the, the broken lives that have been turned around by the power of Jesus. They're not about answered prayers. They're not about miracles. They're not about addictions being broken and, and families being healed. They're not about that stuff. They're about the latest thing that Israel Folau has said uh, on his Twitter feed, they're about the scandals and and the uh, in the Catholic Church. They're about the Brian Tamaki and his latest thing that he's on. It, it's always you got you got to just just got to be wise when you're interacting with the world to realize that actually the media and most of the world around us don't see Jesus like we do. They see him as a deceiver, or possibly a good man who was deceived himself. But they don't see him as the son of God. So the first question we need to ask ourselves is, who, who do they say that Jesus is? Because if, if they start from the premise that he's the same as everyone else, or, or worse, a deceiver, then they start from a very different foundation from you and I. 
And that doesn't mean that you, you never trust anyone who's not a Christian or you don't take any advice from anyone who's, who's not a Christian. That would be foolish. But we do need to be very wise about it because their worldview is completely different. So we need to be careful who has our ear. You know, who's giving you life advice? Who's, who's saying, you know, advising you around what you should do in those big decisions around your relationships, around your kids, around your finances, around your job? You know, non-Christians can carry wisdom too, but they haven't made the wisest decision of all, which is to put Jesus at the center of their lives. And so therefore, a lot of their wisdom will be flawed. It'll be based on, on not on a foundation of Christ, but just about, around some good ideas that they've had. So when you decide to be generous because you believe that God's told you to give that money, they'll be like, no, 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 don't do that. That's, that's foolish. Or when you turn down a, a better pay job because you're like, no, no, I, I want to have more time with my family or I want to be able to get to church on Sunday, then they'll be like, why, why would you do that? Or, or, or when you choose to forgive someone instead of getting even, that, that, it just doesn't compute. But Jesus, at the heart of us, makes all the difference in those decisions. So we've just got to ask ourselves, firstly that question, who do they say he is? The second question we've got to ask ourselves, or yeah, we need to ask is, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do I say that Jesus is? See, your view of Jesus shapes everything in your world. How do you view Jesus? If you're a Christian here today, I am assuming that you, you don't view him as a deceiver. Uh, but how do you view him? Is he, is he a wise man? Is he an amazing teacher? Is he a holy man? Or is he the son of God? Is he actually God in human form come to earth? Because if he is, then that will shape everything, every decision we make and the way we live our lives. Because then all his words are true and his ways are higher and we need to embrace those. They're not just suggestions about how we should live. If, his, if he really is the Son of God, then, then we, we need to realize that, that actually the things we see with our eyes may not be the truth if they don't line up with what he says. Because how many know your senses can fool you? If you've ever looked at an optical illusion or, or something like that, you realize actually what I'm seeing in my eyes doesn't make sense. If Jesus is who he says he is, then, then some of the things that you see will not make sense because your worldview is limited. I know you're a smart crowd. I know you guys, are, you know, you're pretty onto it. But you see, you see, you see Jesus from your point of view. I see him from a, from a 39-year-old Kiwi male um, perspective. I read the Bible. I listen. I, I, I pray. But I still know that I don't have it all right. And if you think you've got it all sorted, I'm sorry. You're wrong. There are some things that you have got completely wrong. There are some things you have maybe slightly right. <laughs> Who am I to say uh, how much you have right? I don't know. But, but can I tell you right now, your view of Jesus is wrong because your view is from a human standpoint. And it may be correct in some ways, but it's not the full picture. That bears thinking about. That bears actually some contemplation and, and maybe some humility before God to say, okay, God, where do I have it wrong? As I focus in on the heart of, of who you are, the, the death and resurrection, 
what, what have I got wrong in the way I view this? What have I got wrong in the way I view you and, and the way I interact with you and other people around me? We can take courage though because Jesus' disciples, they got it wrong all the time, right? They were, they were you could say some of them were pretty thick. Jesus was constantly correcting them, constantly like telling them stories, parables to try and get them to think right about the kingdom of God and about how, what he was doing there. Uh, and, and I really believe we need, to, we need to meet those stories afresh. We need to maybe read some of those passages again. Read the, read the Sermon on the Mount and the strange things that Jesus says in there about loving your enemy. Uh, and, and, and blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There are some strange things in, in the Bible, strange things that Jesus said. But I think at Easter, it's a good t- time to just come to the, 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 the crux of our faith and go, what, what is this crazy story about? And what does this mean for me? Just read the story and reflect on maybe just a certain aspect of it. Maybe just the submission of Jesus. The way that he went knowingly submitting to being beaten and, and, and stripped of his clothes and a crown and being uh, mocked and, and led and nailed to just the submission that at any point he could have, you know, just pushed them all away, called down some angels. Or maybe dwell on the forgiveness that he carried towards those that even while he was being killed, he said, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That blows my mind. That level of forgiveness. Read the story afresh and and look at the kindness that Jesus had as he was on the cross turning to the criminal to his side and saying, you know, your sins are forgiven. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Just saying that is going beyond himself and being so kind in that moment. So many things you can read again in that story. Be changed afresh by the story of Easter. And my third question is, so who do they say? Who do we say? And then finally, who does Jesus say he is? Who does Jesus say he is? This is probably the most important question. And the answer Jesus gives is incredible. In John 11, we read a, a story about how Jesus turns up too late for the healing of his, um, of his friend Lazarus. He was supposed to uh, heal him. Turns out he got there and he was dead. And, uh, and it wasn't very good. And Martha, Lazarus' sister, was pretty annoyed uh, with Jesus. And this is what happens in John 11. 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's an incredible thing to say. I am the resurrection and the life. What does that even mean, Jesus? <laughs> I'm sure Martha's like, okay. Because, you know, she doesn't know what we know now. Looking back, she's, uh, you're the resurrection and the life. Uh, not a resurrection, not a life, but the resurrection, the life. 
And the resurrection here in the Greek means a raising up, a rising and, and life. The word zoe means the absolute fullness of life. So Jesus is the rising to the fullest possible life is what he's saying. That's awesome. Who wants the fullest possible life? Who wants to rise to the fullest possible life? Well, that's the gift that you have at Easter from Jesus. A couple of chapters over, Jesus says in John 14, 6, He answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What an outrageous claim to make. But actually, that's who Jesus saw himself to be. He saw himself as the way, the truth, and the life, as the resurrection and the life. And we actually need to realign our thinking with, with Jesus. We need to realign our thinking about who he is with what he says about himself. So where we thought Jesus was about kind of just following a bunch of rules, no. Where we thought he was just about, you know, doing the right thing and, and being a good person, or we thought he was about limiting us, or we thought he's a bit boring, a bit dull. No, Jesus is raising us up to fullness of life. And not just then and that time, and not just now, but forever. The fullness of life eternal. That is amazing. Your best, most fulfilling life starts today in Jesus. I don't actually care what you're going through. I do care. But I don't care what you're going through. Jesus can turn it around. He can bring life. As Mass said earlier, He can bring resurrection power into that situation. Because the crazy thing is, Jesus didn't just say he was the resurrection. Later, we know that he was. He is the resurrection. Because it wasn't over. On the third day, despite the guard at the tomb, despite them setting that all up, despite being very dead, <laughs> the tomb was empty. He wasn't there. I just want to read to you that passage again. From Matthew 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid like these sissies over here, uh, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. If Jesus was, if he merely said that he was the resurrection, then none of us would be here today. If he just said it, it would just be like, Oh, yeah, this dude a while ago, said he was the resurrection. But no, the tomb was empty and he was risen from the dead. 
He didn't just talk about it. He rose again, which puts the onus back on us today. What are we going to do with who he is? So at this point, I normally invite the keys player up, but it's a bit awkward uh, for me to do that. So you just imagine, just imagine, uh, hey, look at that. We've got some pads. Thanks, John. Uh, there you go. Holy Spirit's come back. Uh, no, we're not equating the Holy Spirit with pad sounds. But uh, just in this moment, I just want us to reflect, you know, on one of those three questions. If you're a Christian here today, you know, who do, who do who the people in your world say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Where is it that you've got something wrong in your thinking? And finally, who does Jesus say that He is? I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Maybe there's an area in your life that you think, man, this is dead, this is gone, this is finished. No, no, Jesus is saying something different. He's saying, I am the resurrection. I can resurrect something from the dead and maybe completely dead and smelling bad, but I can resurrect it because that's what I did on the third day. Why don't we stand to our feet in this moment And let's just take some time. You know, don't don't let the story of Easter become stale. Don't let it become old hat. Allow the scandal of that story to shock you again. A murder, an assassination, a cover-up, and then an amazing miracle to top it all off. It's a crazy story. Allow that to shock you again. Allow that to to change you again. Let's just open our hearts. Maybe you need to close your eyes, lift your hands. I don't know, but just open your, your mind and your heart to Christ this morning. I want to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you that he went knowingly to the cross submitted himself to such punishment unto death. And we thank you most of all that on the third day, he rose again to prove that he is the resurrection and the life. God, let that strike us once again. And Father, help us to be honest with you about where we are at. Correct our thinking where it needs to be corrected. Show us your resurrection power in our situations, in our world, in our lives. And God, realign our thinking, realign our hearts so that they are once more wholly devoted to you, our risen Lord. Amen. There's one more group of people I want to talk to today and and this really this message is just for you because this is the message this is the story of all eternity and it's the story that can change your life 
if you allow it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's an outrageous claim. But it's an outrageous claim that it's true. And it's an outrageous claim that demands a response of us. What are we going to do? You can't ignore that. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So just with every eye closed and head bowed in this place, if you're here and you know that, you don't know the Father, you don't know God who loves you and has a plan and a purpose for you, but you want to know Him, then you can come to know Him through Jesus this morning. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He's, he's asking for permission to come in. He'll never force His way in. You've just got to respond to Him and open the door. And so you can open the door today just by raising your hand and I'll see it and you can put it down and then we'll all pray together. And that's essentially you saying yes to Jesus. Does anybody want to do that now this morning? Don't worry about the people around you. This is just between you and God. You'll know who you are because something will be going on. There'll be a, a battle on the inside for your heart. Does anybody here wants to do that? raise your hands this Easter story this eternal story is for you today okay I'm not seeing any hands so you can look my way again I just encourage you church let's take some time we've got a long weekend it's not like we're short on time let's take some time let's read the story again be shocked by the scandal and allow the story of the risen Christ to change us once again. Yeah? Amen.